Hello everyone, welcome to Movies for When with Greg Johnson and Denny Taylor. Now we're here to start a new podcast um, basically because everyone says yes movies, but when? Well, we'll tell you when. We'll tell you exactly when you should watch these movies. Every week we think of a premise of movies for when blank. I pick a movie. Greg picks a movie, and then we have a wild card third entry. Um, today, our topic is movies for when you want to start a podcast. Greg, how did we arrive at this particular topic? Well, it's really the natural order of things, isn't it? We wanted to start a podcast. It's something you and I have talked about for months, if not years. It was always an idea floating around, and I think I texted you out of the blue, what, like, two weeks ago like denny that's enough well let's just absolutely do it please what you actually texted me is my girlfriend says i need to be away from the tv for a couple hours a week so she can hog it and do her nails well <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> she, she's currently watching the real housewives of uh some city of rich people and i'm in here alone with you mm. it's a dream scenario for everybody a real win-win so everybody wins we get a podcast you get a podcast and here we go we finally get to talk about movies and uh have excuses to watch uh new things together whether we like them or not Sure, and sometimes the answer is definitely not, as we will find out yeah. <laughs> early on this, this week. So um, our idea behind Movies for When You Want to Start a Podcast is basically like, well, we want to find some things that are accessible that mm -hmm. anyone who, like, we don't want to have, like, a, a a gatekeeping thing of, like, you have to be some hardcore uh, movie buff to, to enjoy this. This is hardcore. No, like, but we also don't want to do, like, only Star Wars and MCU, because I don't know about you, but I'm bored with it. I haven't even seen all the MCU movies, and I definitely never want to see Rise of Skywalker again, so we're on the same page. Wonderful. Um, so our picks for today were based on basically what is something that is accessible, something that a lot of people will be able to participate in and listen along with without getting it spoiled. Um, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to spoil these movies, obviously, <laughs> talking about like... What's something that a lot of people have seen? Uh, and yeah, that's what we're going with. We also, But we also didn't want it to be something that just he had nothing to say about. You know, like if we were like to do something like Lord of the Rings, I'd be like, yeah, it's good. What is that? It's uh, great. It's a great movie. I like the sword <laughs> stuff. There's there's not really a lot, of, a lot of discussion there. So what we're doing today is we are going to make uh, we're going to go through our movies and just kind of talk about our thoughts on them. And then at the end of the episode, we will have a time to kind of decide based on the cases made and the points presented and the logic and facts that we used. <laughs> Please don't associate us with that camp of thinking. That was a sarcastic logic and facts. Um, we'll kind of decide what our vote is on. What is the best movie for when you want to start a podcast? Uh, if anyone listens to this other than our partners, you can uh, chime in on whatever social media pages we end up making. We should have done that before this so we can tell people. Yeah. Nah, it's whatever. I'll, I, I promise I'll create a Twitter account uh, for this. That will probably be the main driving force behind any sort of social media presence. Mm -hmm. So cool. it's coming. It's coming. 
It's already in the pipeline. I think we just showed our hands that uh, we're doing this for us. <laughs> but, uh, but, it's, it's something we want to do, and if people listen to it, that's a bonus. <laughs> you know? So yeah. the, the, uh, first, the first episode has to set the tone. We're just yeah. we're doing this because we love it. We love to talk about movies, and it's it's an idea we had to to really just set a mood depending on what your what your mood is have some ideas for anybody that wants to watch any movies based on the moods they're having hopefully some of these moods and themes and topics are relatable hopefully you're also starting trying to start a podcast <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah um, must, oh actually we actually really destroyed the point of this because if uh if it was for someone else to start a podcast and they picked these movies, it would. We already did it. So yeah, we'll call them out on that. Absolutely. It's more movies for when we want to start a podcast. Movies not for when we want to. Start. Want to. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? It's the first episode. We can do what we want. This is our Absolutely. podcast. This is our mother flipping podcast. That's right. I said flipping. That's right. right. Yeah, that's how passionate I am. Thank you for the censorship. Way to yeah. get this PG. Uh, let's go real quick for through the three movies that we picked and why we kind of wanted to put them on there. Uh, like Denny said, it's one of Denny's picks, a pick of my own, and then a third wild card pick. So you go first with your pick, because I think that's the movie we're going to talk about first. Yes, uh, my pick was Back to the Future, um, because Back to the Future is a beloved movie and an awesome movie. Um, and I also have a couple hot takes, because I think it gets an easy pass, because people love it so much. And also because it was so new at the time that uh, I think I think there's some things that haven't aged well with how many more time travel movies there are out there now. Um, but I also do love it, and I just want a platform for my nuanced take because I, I get really frustrated where like I'll, I'll get a response from people where they love something. And I say, I liked it, but it had some flaws, and they treat me like I said I hated it, and it sucks. Um, and I'm just like, no, there's, there's space between, uh, this is, this isn't Rotten Tomatoes, brother. This is, this is a more complex, this is Metacritic. This is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there, there's room for more than this is perfect. And I think this is absolute and utter garbage. So I wanted back to the future for that reason. And our second movie, Greg picked. <laughs> much Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. This is the mistake we were referring to earlier. Uh, <laughs> I picked Nomadland. I figured uh, it's something that neither Denny or I had seen before I made the pick. Uh, most of the reviews I had seen were sort of lukewarm on it. But I figured it won Best Picture. Maybe we'll have some opinions on it. Maybe the, there will be some sort of discourse around it. It's at least got to be talked about because it just won Best Picture a few months ago. And then we watched it, and it was a movie. Denny, what's the third movie? <laughs> The third movie uh, uh, was the hardest to come up with. We eventually outsourced it to my wife, Vanessa, um, who picked Silence of the Lambs, um, which I think is a great pick, which, uh, full disclosure, I actually didn't have time to do the rewatch or buy a better microphone like I promised to do this morning. Um, but, yeah, you know. It's you know? episode one. We're, we're learning the speed bumps, learning the dedication it takes. If the you're here right now, the trade. ground floor. You're, you're grassroots. Welcome to the ground floor. For win. You're day one. You were there when the mic was shitty. 
You were there when Denny was going for memory on a movie he really liked. <laughs> you were there when we picked a dumb movie before we really did any research. There's going to be more. That's going to be something that will probably keep happening. Uh, <laughs> Mistakes will continue <laughs> to be made. Um, okay. Um, should we... Should we introduce ourselves and do any background, or should we just jump right to it? What do you think? Yeah, like literally 60 seconds each. You go first. Okay, 60 seconds each. Um, my name is Denny Taylor. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in radio, television, and film from the University of Texas. Uh, I produced a few short films. I'm trying to work on some stuff now. Uh, ultimately, what that has meant for the past 10 years of my life is I've strayed from my, uh, from my filmmaking path, is that I'm the best in the room at liking movies. I like movies the best, damn it. No one's better than me at liking them. Um, and that's really it. Uh, you know, I got a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from the University of North Texas. I'm a therapist. Uh, I see most things through the lens of trauma, mental health, and professional wrestling. And I find that movies are the perfect mix of all three of those things. So that's me in a nutshell. Were you reading that off a script of some kind? <laughs> that was great. Oh, I was just, just rolling with it. I am Greg Johnson. I have also degree, like movies too. All right. No, that's not it. Well, notable, we, notable, educated movie liker, Greg Johnson. But, yeah, both of us are in our early thirties, so we're doing the typical white guy thing and starting a podcast about it. Well, yeah, because you know we're having a white boy summer. White boy summer. Hashtag white boy summer. Maybe that'll be a, a topic in a later episode. Is maybe not white boy summer. We want to be inclusive. We'll do yeah. hot hot boy summer. But this episode is brought Everyone's to you. Everyone's a hot boy. Um, he's our only sponsor at this time. And um, we get paid one PBR tall boy every time we mention the phrase hashtag white boy summer. So um, oh, I believe we're up to four on the running count now. Five. Let's make it a six pack, baby. Let's make hashtag it a six pack. Summer! <laughs> oh, hell yeah. All right. Let's jump right into it then. We good? Right, yeah. This is your pick. So Back to the Future is a... Uh... A movie that you watch when you want to start a podcast. Go ahead. Um, I have lots of things to say about Back to the Future. I think Back to the Future is an incredibly interesting movie. Um, I think it's a really fun movie. It's pretty surface level. I think there's a million cool trivia facts about it, like how uh, how they started with a different Marty McFly, um, and it wasn't working out. And there's like two weeks of shooting. I forget who played him, but they, they, they brought in a new Marty McFly. Um, I often think about how hard... Bob Zemeckis and co fought to get this movie made. It was like six years in pre-production and nobody wanted it. Um, and they were just so dedicated to it that they kept going. And then they cast the, they cast a lead and started production and he wasn't working out and they cared so much about the quality of it that they cut him and got a new lead. I can't imagine what that sounded like to investors and also what a pain in the ass it was to everyone involved. Um, I do think they made the right choice because Michael J. Fox rules, but I often think of this movie and I use it for reference when like, I'll watch something like, um, I don't know. Uh, but what I want to say is Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I haven't actually seen that. Um, so it's, I, uh, it's not good. So it's fine. But no, you look <laughs> at a movie like that and you're like, um, do you think anyone fought for this movie to get made? Do you think anyone cared about this so much that they labored over it for six years and would have like cared about the quality enough to recast the lead two weeks into shooting? Um, that's not something that would happen now with a big budget movie. Um, they're made by people who largely don't care. 
Um, and don't get me wrong, it's always been capitalism making money, but they used to be under the delusion, the complete false impression mm -hmm. that they had to actually make a good movie in order to make money off of it. Um, and what a beautiful time it was before they had that uh, belief dispelled by uh, us going to movies anyway, even though they are a lot worse um, in general. There's still lots of good movies being made. I don't want to be an old man yelling at the sky, but like, don't act like it wasn't better in the past. <laughs> like it just was. I mean, uh, we, we are talking about a movie made in 85, which came out years before either of us were born, so... Sure, I remember back before I was born when movies were good. I remember the it. Golden Age. Yes. Golden, yeah. I've read about well, it online. So, Greg, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because this is, a, this is a, an archetypal thing that doesn't come up very often. Um, Marty McFly is a protagonist without an arc. Oh. You're hitting me with that. Yeah, Denny yeah. and I have not reviewed notes. Uh, there have well, been... I made notes for this one. I skipped Silence of the Lamb because of time, but uh, yeah. I've got intricate notes on Back to the Future. Yeah, this is something we texted about, like, we like it, we're going to talk about it, and then we start to get into why we like it or what we want to discuss in the show, and we're just like, we'll, we'll save it for the podcast. So we yeah, saved yeah. this one for the podcast. So you're hitting me with the protagonist without an arc, um, I guess my thought on that is kind of my thought on the entire movie, which is, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Every issue... Okay, not every. Most issues that you'll find with this movie can be just shrugged off by saying, who cares? Well, I wouldn't even say it's an issue. I just think it's a really interesting thing about it, because um, it's rare. Cause, yeah, it's... It, works. it totally it, works. It's fine. Yeah, that's it, what I was going to say. Um, and I, I watched a YouTube video on it that I wish I could cite. I watched it a while ago. I don't remember where it was, but I really love Probably story YouTube. structure. I'm a sucker for the hero's journey. Um, tweet me about how it's myopic. I don't check my Twitter. Um, I know. I just like it. Um, I grew up in a post-Star Wars America. The hero's journey is in my bones, um, as is yours. Um, so, but basically the, the protagonist without an arc, their, their point that they were making is like, Usually for a protagonist to have an arc, you have to have a lie that they believe and they find out the truth, right? Um, and there's something really interesting about Marty that it's like, no, it's the lie that the world believes. And Marty always knows the truth. Um, and he's basically proving the truth to them, which is like, you can just be a big badass and have life go great. And good people win and bad people lose, which is not really true about this world, but it worked out pretty well for Back to the Future, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that makes sense. I gotta. I hope we find that video because that it's a pretty good point. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, I, this movie also gets a lot of credit for bringing time travel to the mainstream, and this is my first hot take of the day. You ready for it? I'm ready. It's sizzling. It's sizzling. <laughs> Hit me oh, with... ready to come off the grill, brother. Hit Here me with a sizzle. <laughs> it's not. It did not bring time travel to the mainstream. That movie is called Motherfucking Terminator. And it came out a year before Back to the Future. Greg, thoughts, feelings, responses to this hot take? Uh, you're right. But it proved that time travel could be fun. Terminator was fun. Terminator was a fun movie, but it's stressful, it's dramatic, it's a harrowing adventure. This is a much lower stakes movie that really ups the fun factor by making it a little more whimsical. A little, The stakes are high in terms of the personal 
goals of the characters, but the world's not going to end. It's sure. this guy might, you know, I guess he would die, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a character as stupid as Marty. Yes. Marty's a Marty's an idiot. <laughs> His He's parents so will uncreate him, which is pretty harrowing, but the world's not going to get enslaved by robots. It's, it's, it's got a more fun tone. It, it makes time travel a serious business and it, take has a fun adventure take on it so sure but all i'm saying is if marty mcfly were john connor you couldn't make a t-800 good enough to keep him alive that dude craved death like, he would have he would have skated away from any terminator <laughs> he would have been on the road just hitching a ride on that semi in terminator 2 on his skateboard on the back just like listening to uh what was it van halen on his walkman well now I'm uh I'm officially imagining a Terminator played by who plays Biff? <laughs> Thomas F. Wilson. I'm yeah. imagining uh Thomas F. Wilson doing Terminator things and it's really funny to me. Terminator Biff Thousand. Uh yeah. I'll be back, butthead. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> also piece of butthead's a pretty obvious one too. Oh my god, please. And it's just like the Back to the Future movies, where he would be the bad guy in every moon. Yep. And he's such a good actor that you would uh, not even recognize him. Sure. Um, <sighs> all right, that's my first hot take. I'm kind of spent. I'm just kidding. Do you have any thoughts you want to throw in? Before I've got notes. I'll keep going. But my my guy. my first hot take is that uh, wow, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Crispin Glover's character, Marty's dad. What's the character's name again? George McFly. George McFly is the weirdest character in the movie. He's weirder than Dark Brown. Doc Brown. He is a total goofball for no reason. He's not into science. He's not into inventions. He's just. <laughs> I love him though, man. I yeah. love. There was a lot of victim blaming of poor George McFly in this movie. Um, He's he a was... pervert. I uh, uh, did. It was the opposite of uh, saving a cat from a tree. <laughs> creeping a woman from a tree sexually assaulting a woman from a tree um uh, oh dad forgot about that uh, okay so there is that he is a he is a he is a he is a camera pervert um but there's also just like he's he keeps getting clearly like just totally bullied and abused and everyone's like god what a loser like no one mm -hmm. even is like, biff you shouldn't treat him that way for the most part like, everyone thinks yeah. he deserves it yeah, for being a loser, for being a weirdo. <laughs> if you weren't such a slacker, you wouldn't have this happen to you. <laughs> it's terrible, man. But yeah, Crispin, Crispin Glover's performance of that character is just so wild, and there's no way that he was directed to do that. And I feel like I've like listened to a video or um, read something somewhere that he just really brought his own take to the character, and it just became this complete goofball. And... It works for the movie, but it really stands out like, man, this guy is absolutely wild. Why is he doing yeah. the things that he's doing? His mannerisms are hilarious. Have you seen him dance in Friday the 13th Part 4? I have not seen Friday the 13th Part 4. Oh, it might be the best one. It's up there. Um, the last <laughs> the last Friday the 13th movie was the one when for my birthday when we watched uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Mm, that might be the best one. Don't at me. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jason X. We know it is. Go ahead. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. What were you gonna say? 
No, but he, uh, he he's very similar in that, where he's just essentially one of the killables. Um, a similar character. There's someone who keeps calling him a dead fuck the whole movie. Like, that <sighs> thing. Like, he says it like it's a thing. He's like, that girl over there, she says you're a dead fuck. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and so, but there's this scene where they're at a party, and he just starts dancing. And he just does the wildest, goofiest, most insane dance you've ever seen in your life. And I watched the Crystal Lake Memories, and they were like, "Yeah, that's just Crispin being Crispin. He was not. He was not directed to do that. He um, plays. He plays by his own rules. I love it. He had some. He had some problems with Zemeckis, didn't he, or with the production crew? Because they so. uh, they replaced him in two and three, and he ended up suing them, if I remember correctly. I think there was some. Uh, what I understand, I don't even want to talk about it because I don't know it. But like my my remembery, my remembery, my enough. memory, Good my, my remembery of it was that basically he felt that he was mistreated on set and basically bullied for being a weirdo, um, mm-hmm. and they replaced him because they didn't like working with him, uh, which you know adds there was something going on, right? And if I remember correctly, I think he won the lawsuit. I think he got paid. Uh, someone fact check me. We'll start a fact check segment next week. I'm just. Talking. I want to say. I want to say it was a. They settled and he got undisclosed. Like the settlement was undisclosed. What the results were, but gotcha. he he was he was gonna win. But I think they just paid him off to make it go away. I, I, really I, I think it was like it was all about one day they didn't have his pizza order right and catering and. They just- <laughs> And that was the undisclosed settlement. And he's just like, now, Robert, I have a specific pizza order. (laughs) Today I learned you've got a real solid Glover. (laughs) Not Donald, definitely Crispin. Uh, (laughs) That's what the people want is Crispin Glover impressions, man. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to get into what will typically bother me about this movie. Um, which I want to, I want to, I want to bookend it. Okay. Is it Um, not enough of the dog? Einstein. I was thinking about that. Actually, this watch through, I was like, I actually, actually thought it, we should have more Einstein. It's in, it's in my notes right here. Um, I have proof. Nice. So I will, what I want to bookend it with is I really love the look and feel of this movie. Yes. Just the way the movie feels it's aura. And that's really what sticks with you. Um, and I think that's why it just keeps working because basically I'd have a scene where I had these problems and then like Marty McFly would be on a skateboard with the soundtrack playing and I'd be like, God, this is cool. (laughs) It's just so cool. Um, it's crazy cool. Um, I also want to clarify. Yes, I do understand that rewatchability was not a thing when this came out. Not for, not for most people like VHSs were still like a hundred dollars, right? Like, um, and even then, they weren't counting on you getting a VHS and picking it apart like we do now and <laughs> building and stuff. That's um, so. I understand that because of that, they had to explain a little more to the audience, right? You, you, and this was a very new concept. The expositional dialogue in this movie, where they are constantly proud of themselves for paying off something they inorganically set up, drives mm. nuts. They're just constantly like, um, like when they're sitting down for dinner in the beginning and uh, Lorraine McFly, his mom, uh, is just like, oh, you know, your father and I never would have met if he hadn't gotten hit by a car and then we didn't kiss at the dance. And they're like, we know, mom. And she just keeps telling them the story over and over and over again. 
Um, they do so much stuff like that, this inorganic setup, even with, um, what's the name of the guy who goes on to become mayor? Um, Goldie, uh, I don't remember, but they just do this, like, he's going to be the mayor. Yes. Like, (laughs) and then they're just like, mayor. Now that has a nice ring to it. Maybe I could be mayor. And it's just like it, dude, I'm telling you go back and watch it, it is constant. And I'm saying, like, I could excuse a little bit of it. It is constantly happening. Like, all throughout the movie, like, every other scene, they're just, like... And then they're so proud of themselves for paying it off, like, they didn't make up the whole thing and control all of the rules. Like, that's not, like... That's not impressive when you just, like... um, It's like... It's like... um, it's like us. It's like me saying, uh, it's like me going back and writing a document that says Denny and Greg will start a podcast today, um, and then dating the document a hundred years ago and being like, "Wow, can you believe it?" It's like, no, that's not impressive. You're in complete control of this. Um, <laughs> expositional dialogue is in general a pet peeve of mine, and even with all the leeway I'm giving them in this, because again different time different context you needed more expositional dialogue you had to hold the audience's hand a little more it's egregious like it is egregious how often it happens and i would find myself getting so irritated and then like they'd fire up the delorean and i would just not care anymore you know like because it just (laughs) the overall aura is just it's a movie that without a doubt is greater than the sum of its parts um like they're like just the whole you put it all together in the package of back to the future and you've got a piece of magic but when you break it down there's a lot of stuff that really grinds my flux capacitors you know Ah, it really jumps my gigawatts if you know what i'm saying that's a reference to the movie plutonium from uh from terrorists libyans (laughs) dude okay hold up okay I, I don't speak, I don't even know what language they speak in Libya. The subtitle said Arabic, I think. I swear it would blow my mind if he wasn't just making noises when he talks. Like, what he's, the noises they're having him make, and if this is regressive, just know that I'm ignorant of this, but I'm telling you, it literally just sounded like the guy was, like, making sounds <laughs> when he was speaking. It was, I was just, like, kind of taken aback. I was like... I've heard people speak Arabic and it sounds like they're speaking a language that just sounded like, just like gibberish to me. Like I don't, yeah. and I seriously doubt that they like researched Arabic and had you know, like learned it for this like throwaway guy's line that he just yells. It definitely sounds like a guy that if this movie were made now, you pick somebody and their only reference to the Arabic language was they played Call of Duty a bunch. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, I think these sounds are what they make and went off that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, that was a take. I'll cool down. Give me something from your notes. Uh, wow. One of my notes was <laughs> actually about how a whole bunch of stuff paid off and how all the loose ends were tied up. <laughs> but uh, never mind, I guess. Canceled. Um, Greg Johnson will not be attending hashtag white boy summer. Uh, I'm, I've been white boy summer canceled. Ugh. Cancel culture strikes again. Next week, it's Movies for Win with Denny and Chet. <laughs> and your dog. <laughs> uh, I'll start a podcast with my own dog. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess 
I don't know. Every issue I had with it, like, I've got issues with... Like, A Sound of Thunder was a book by Ray Bradbury written, I want to say, in the 30s or 40s, maybe before then, where a time traveler goes back to hunt dinosaurs and he steps off the path and steps on a butterfly and he gets back to the future. He goes back to the future and the entire world in the future is changed. And that's where the term butterfly effect comes from. It's it's really interesting, like, little short story. But then you you kind of watch this and you're like, there's a lot more movies nowadays, and I'll think of examples in the future, uh, where the tiniest change in the past causes a lot of um, changes in the future. Like, the tiniest little thing can balloon out into these crazy things. But I think my main issue, and I think a lot of people have also said the same thing, is that he goes back and he screws with everything. Marty gets his hands on everything, talks to everybody, touches everything, <laughs> tricks people into thinking that aliens and Martians are real in order to, oh my God. And like, and then he gets to the future, like the landowner of the farmland that he crashes mm-hmm. the DeLorean into when he goes back to 85 uh he's just he's in a radiation suit and he thinks he's seen an alien but you're telling me that that like neighborhood development came out the exact same all the houses are in the same place and then he was showed himself as an alien to his future dad and there was no trauma related to that <laughs> and i i i think about all this stuff and then marty goes back at the end of the movie spoilers if you haven't seen this what Wait, that's what they were talking about when they said back to the future yeah sorry to spoil it for oh, you but oh, they do oh, go back to 1985 right now to be honest yeah. sorry to spoil a 36 year old movie but they do go back to the future uh, <laughs> yeah he goes back and the only noticeable changes are the twin pines mall is the lone pine mall and his family's social status is different. Yeah. Everything else is the same. They're all materialistic app. Like this is the most eighties movie ever that it's like, that means everything is good. His girl, his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. He's rich now. (laughs) He's rich now. That means it's everything's better. His, his girlfriend is the same and everything's fine. But like you could have an issue with all that. But then I think about the scene towards the beginning in 1955 where Doc Brown almost points directly at the camera and says, we have to go back to the future. (laughs) And he's like, he's almost pointing directly at the camera and he says that and you're just like, oh, it doesn't matter. This is just fun. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And that's what it keeps coming back to. Um, It's just fun. This wasn't meant to be dissected. This is like the epitome of what like a fun family blockbuster is honestly like it's um it's just kind of got a little something for everyone um i did want to acknowledge something that i made note of because i actually the thing i was just criticizing um about how they set stuff up just to pay it off and are like egregiously proud of themselves for it Mm -hmm. um, the time that i thought it was the most egregious is right before doc gets shot by the terrorist Mm -hmm. because he is just like giving an intense amount of explanation to Marty, like telling him everything he could ever possibly need to know. And I was like rolling my eyes. And then it hit me that that's actually the only time it makes sense 
because Doc knows what's about to happen. Doc knows he's about to get shot and Marty's about to go back into the past and he's going to absolutely need all of this stuff he's monologuing about. And he just and so rattles it off. That it was due. Yeah, he's, he's giving so much like, I remember it just like yesterday. Ah, oh, yes. The day that I discovered time travel. You know, just like lets him know, like, mm-hmm. I fell off my toilet and I hit my head and um, actually sets the date on the car for Marty to go back because he knows yeah. what he's supposed to go back to. Um, so I will say, I actually thought that part was really brilliant because there was actually some depth to it of like, we didn't know that the character knows what's about to happen. And it totally works. You know, like if you go back and rewatch it, it actually works better once you realize, um, once you realize that he was actually trying to do without tampering with what was about to happen. He was trying to set Marty up for success and make sure things went according to plan. And Marty's such an idiot that he still, like, managed to stumble his ass through it because he never <laughs> listens to anything or learns anything ever. Fuck! God. Built a time machine out of a DeLorean. <laughs> no, but, like, that's part of the charm of the movie is, like, those little payoffs, whether they're completely hammed in or, like, more subtly earned, those little payoffs are awesome. Mm-hmm. They feel good. You're just like, oh, I noticed the thing. And then the thing is cool. Sure. Um, man, something that I made note of because I loved the lines so much, I mm-hmm. think would be up there with iconic classic cinema lines is uh, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> such a great line. It's, it's so great. Um, Christopher Lloyd delivered it just like pure money it was so out of character for him to talk like that um that it just really made the moment mean something i was crazy about it um ooh, check this out yeah i've got something big i call it the infinite biff theory oh hit me hit me denny okay so check it out we see lots of timelines in this whole franchise, right? Like, we see lots of possible futures, lots of possible pasts, lots of possible presents. In every timeline, there must always be a Biff and mm-hmm. always be a fly in Hill Valley. Some timelines have shifts in the power balances, but it is still an inevitable singularity. They are universal constants, ancient gods, forces of good and evil, is what I wrote. <laughs> oh my god, that was you? <laughs> Um, you wrote that artistry? Yeah, I wrote it. That's fabulous. Um, I was watching it because it just occurred to me. I was like, kind of getting back to what you said about how little changes in the timelines. I was thinking about that as like, um, so there's like in the Doctor Who time travel universe, the way they work around a lot of stuff is Ooh. that there's like, you don't like Doctor Who? We'll save it for another day. Go All ahead. Right. I love <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, but, uh, but the way they work around a lot of stuff is they're like they never give like intensely distinct rules to time travel but it's like you can change most things but there are some fixed points there are just some fixed points in time that will always happen just no matter what you do and usually when they try to change those fixed points they end up being the cause of what happened um it's just like Mm -hmm. and i it's probably like i don't think much time travel really works out when you you know like when you really ask all the questions you could possibly ask about it but with that in mind, if this were a universe like that, where it's like, 
some things are malleable, but some things will happen no matter what, which I think the case you made earlier about like Marty touches everything. Um, Mm -hmm. He touches everything and very, very, very little changes. That would imply that there's a lot of like universal constants in Hill Valley. Um, And one of them is that there must always be a Biff and there must always be a McFly. Um, No matter what happens, they are just these like, um, Sauron and Gandalf, these like forces of good and evil oh my um, God. that must either be calling each other buttheads or asking for a second coat of wax for all of eternity. <laughs> uh, always two there are, no more, no less. <laughs> Man, that that just made the entire franchise better for me, and I really yeah. gotta <laughs> thank you yeah. for that. That's so awesome. There's, It's the infinite Biff theory. There's... You heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. There's still new things to talk about in a 36-year-old movie. I mean, um, there's like someone that's like on deep level back to the future fandom that's like, we've been talking about this on message boards since 1996 on ARPANET, but um, it was new to us. I never encountered it. Infinite Biff Theory dot web has been registered for 15 years, and we're just like stepping on their stuff, just <laughs> act, acting like we came up with it. Dot uh, geocities dot com. Dot geocities dot wordpress dot com. <laughs> it's been around for a while. Um, yeah, we've been talking about Back to the Future for 30 some odd minutes. Um, I've got I've got one more thing. Put a, I, put actually, a bow on it. Put a bow on it. It's your okay. pick. Put a put a put a nice bow on the. Uh, Honestly, the I want you to know first of all, I am uh, not even halfway through my notes. Um, but no shit. If, if I could, um, if I could only say one more thing, I would say this. I'll give I'll give you two more things. Nah, this is it. Okay, okay two okay. more things. Okay. Uh, Principal Strickland aged well. Yeah, he did. He was great. They did nothing. He just looks exactly the same, but he's got a bowl of hair and then no hair. Um, but they didn't do any sort of aging makeup on him, whatever. He looks identical. <laughs> for 30 years. That's great. Good for him. You know, I, what's his secret? Um, okay, no. One more thing. Marty McFly is such a fucking idiot. That's the thing you texted me. Please He's... elaborate. So, he is in this... He cannot grasp what should be the single most obvious truth to him, which is you are the only person who is time traveling. It just seems so easy to understand that no one else that you are interacting with is a time traveler. And he's constantly, the whole, whole movie being like, I've seen this episode. It's a classic. What do you mean? It's watch it. We're watching it for the first time ever. Yeah, it's brand new. That's... I saw it on a rerun. What's like, a rerun? Whole day. He just doesn't even get it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that like no everyone else is experiencing this stuff for the first time. But he does. Important. No, he doesn't. He, a Double couple times. When he's doing his stupid Chuck Berry guitar thing. Okay, it's cool. oh he's oh doing... that was another one of my points. Yeah, he's like well. It's a classic where I come from. And it's just like, you still don't get it. You still don't understand. That that one felt more like a nod. Classic. That one felt more like a nod than like uh, you know, you'll see. But like, maybe it's a little problematic that the the white teenager actually invented this. He was actually a rock and roll pioneer, not the um, 
African-American Chuck Berry. Oof. <laughs> Oof. The white guy also did go back in Inception, the uh, the, the black mayor uh, becoming mayor. Yeah, uh, he, he would have never realized his potential or anything well, he like already that. Knew it. He, was, he was like, suck it, I'm going to be somebody one day. And they were like, you can't, you're black. And Marty was like, he's going to be mayor. As though that would like have any credence. Like anyone there would like, no one knows he's a time traveler. And they couldn't understand that. He he does use the, the I only I know I'm a time traveler, air quote. He, he uses that once when he's convincing uh, George to, I think he's asking, challenging him to ask Lorraine to the dance by dressing up back in his radiation suit putting Van Halen in a Walkman and playing it in his ears as if he's like a crazy Martian. He's like, oh. And then also when he's naming himself, like, oh yeah, I'm Calvin Klein. And then in the third movie where he's like, oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm Clint Eastwood. Like, he does that stuff all the time to, like, blend in, but not really. So he uses it to his advantage sometimes. But you are right. He, he is pretty oblivious to the fact that Nobody else gets his references. <laughs> dumb guy. He's a dumb, dumb, dumb guy. Um, I have two more things that I actually need to say. Hit it. Hit it. Um, one is that, like, <laughs> immediately, day one, Marty wants to bang his mom. Just oh, okay. Nomadland, just... ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is uh, Marty, Marty, Go for as it. Yeah. soon as he sees her, his first impulse is... I want to have sex with her, and and he like actively has to resist the temptation. It's not like it's one thing for her to be like he's hot. I don't know he's my son from the future. Mm -hmm. He like definitely wants to, but has to like have self discipline. Um, to the point that he even made a, a made a plan for George McFly to intervene on him touching his mom's boobs. Um, he nice. he. <laughs> He made a plan that he did not have to make that required him to touch his mom's boobs. That's just, it's out of control. That dude wanted it. Um, and then this is a 1A. This is not the second thing. Um, 1A, the, who plays, who plays Marty's mom? What's her name? Uh, the actress, uh, hold on. I can tell you in a couple of seconds. See if I beat you there. Leah Thompson. God dang it okay thanks so i just want to point out that in this it's probably because i typed in lou rain uh Oops. in this movie she wanted to um she wanted to bang her son and in howard the duck she totally wanted to bang howard the duck they were just a weird thing where they were like we've got to do weird sex stuff with leah thompson in the 80s they just they, they had a thing about it um and i think howard the duck would have been better if the cowards didn't back out of it um also on the note of uh of lorraine mcfly um Biff Tannen tried to rape her and mm -hmm. she's like letting him in her house in her adult life. <laughs> like that's uh problematic. <laughs> like and I feel like that's such a like um it's such an 80s movie thing where they're like they just clearly the people making the movies did not understand how devastating sexual assault is to a person so when they really wanted to like drive the point home that someone was like a bad dude they just have him try to rape someone i feel like that happens <laughs> a lot um it was just something that really stuck out to me is like he is definitely sexually assaulting her and she's just like fine with him being at the house and like washing the car 
Um, just just something that stuck out like a sore thumb. Two coats, Biff. Uh, two coats. Um, I want to end on a positive note, so I'll ask. Uh, my final note on this was, why the hell does Netflix think I want to watch Penguin Town because I watched Back to the Future? Um, what in the name of God's green earth is Penguin Town? I don't know. It was my next suggested thing on Netflix. Well, obviously you want to watch it. I don't know that I... Well, okay. Title alone, yeah. All right. I mean... Is it a town full of penguins? Are, they, you know are any, they governing the town, or do they just live there? I don't know. If it looks you like know, a documentary. Bored! Yeah, if you know anything about why Penguin Town is related to the Back to, back to the Future uh, algorithm... Please, uh, please tweet us under the hashtag InfiniteBiffTheory.web. Um, actually, don't .web it. It'll ruin the hashtag. Just hashtag. No, dot, dot is spelled out. <laughs> nah, it, it's uh, got to be narrated by, like, yeah. Michael J. Fox or something. I also think they climaxed a few too many times. Um, nice. Nah. I, I, I felt the ending was a little drawn out. They did, they They peaked a lot. There was, like... George punches Biff. Um, then Marty gets them to kiss. That's like a whole separate uh, uh, climax. Yeah. Then we have like a magic flight with the tower not working, and there's all this stress. Is he going to get Doc to read the note? Um, that's like a whole other climax. He goes back to the back to the future. Oh my god, I just got that. Um, <laughs> and uh, he goes back to the future, and there's this whole other climax with Doc still alive. And then there's kind of this falling action, finally, of, like, my family's rich now. Um, but then there's, like, another, like, jumpstart climax. <laughs> well, you got to set up the sequel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love Back to the Future, too. Um, that's a good... That's, like... Oh, that's such a good sequel. Yeah. The only problem is it's, like, half a movie, you know? Like... The, the other problem is you cast a new actress for McFly's girlfriend, and that poor actress was like, oh, my God, I'm a leading role in the second Back to the Future movie, and then she's concussed for the whole thing. <laughs> Bless her heart. That was her big break. And they just... The script just kept her on the sidelines the whole time. Yeah. So anyone who has any... I, I, I just want to cover that I like this movie. I think it's fun. I do have some problems with it. I don't think they really matter at the end of the day. To prove it, I have a NECA Doc Brown toy sitting on my shelf right now. Um, I'm clearly I'm clearly pro Back to the Future. I want everyone to know that. He loves it. You heard it here first, second, and third. Um, Greg, what's your uh, what's your star rating of Back to the Future? Um, Ooh. Let me actually check real quick. Uh, I was going to wait till the end to plug our critter, Criticers <laughs> slash Letterboxd uh, accounts. Um, we'll still keep that to the end, but I'm going to quickly log in and find out what I gave this. Uh, this is, of course, on a scale of 1 through 40. Thank you, Will Reno, for teaching us the importance of math and ratings. I have this at a 33 out of 40, which would equate to an 8.25 out of 10. Cool. I'm, uh, I have it at a, at, on a scale of, uh, 0 to 50. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, I have it at a 42, um, 4.2 out of five. Uh, I go off a five star rating system. Um, yeah, make it easily transferable to Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a 42. Which you know my criteria is if it's uh, if it's over four stars, that means I think it transcends the genre, uh, meaning that 
if you don't like sci-fi, if you don't like time travel, if you don't give a crap about any of those things, I think Back to the Future is still worth watching. I think you'll still watch it. I think you'll still like it. Um, it's just something that's like, I even use it as a barometer. Like when a movie looks kind of crappy, like if I don't like the look of it, I'll literally look at the year and I'll be like, okay, Back to the Future came out in 1985. If your movie looks crappy after this, you have no excuse. I'll, I'll let you have like a kind of grainy looking movie uh, before that. But this is literally my point of like, this is when just like a movie looked the best it's ever going to look like this is just a good looking movie. It looks professional. It looks clean. It looks crisp. Um, it's literally my like, if it was before Back to the Future, I'll give you some some slack. If it's after it, catch up. Catch up to the big boys. Catch up to Bob Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg. Get it's, with the, uh, it's the Jurassic Park Index. I appreciate that. Nice. Yeah, so our, our ratings are pretty similar. Uh, I think if there was more Einstein, I would have rated it higher, of course. All right, we have two more movies to get through. Um... Let's go ahead and bump I on over. Say about both of them, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about Back to the Future. I didn't get through all of them, uh, and I probably shouldn't be allowed to. So let's just move on, and I, I probably won't talk as much. <laughs> if there's one thing that drives your emotions wild and probably an equitable amount of notes, it's Nomadland, the best picture winner for 2020. Uh, I have no notes for Nomadland. Uh, no I'm just going to riff. Yeah, Denny and I actually watched this movie together, uh, was that last weekend? Yeah. Yeah, last weekend, Denny came over, we drank a whole bunch of Topo Chico hard seltzers. Please sponsor us. Please sponsor us. Uh, the one that tastes like Sprite rules. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was a great time, it was not a great movie. No. Um... Man, I don't even You go first. You had a you had a stronger reaction than me. We we're on the same page, but your reaction was stronger. You go first. I feel like I was I was reacting reacting to it stronger while we were watching it. Uh before we get into it, I'll get into the issues of the Oscars of the last few years. Yeah. The Oscars are, the Oscars are a funny thing. Nomination. What was that? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Remember when they gave Black Panther a fucking Best Picture nomination? Yeah, I think that was like the year after it came out too, or something. I don't know. I actually like that movie, and like, man, seriously, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. He's the man. Seriously, yeah. Um, but that's not one of the best movies of that year. You know, like it's just like it was, it was, it was a little bit, a uh, little bit, uh, uh, I don't know. That's 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 part of what I want to talk about, I guess, with the Oscars trying to pander is a strong word, but they're definitely pandering towards the audience that is kind of leaving them. A lot of people are just not paying attention to the Oscars anymore. Yeah. Uh, ratings go down every year. They try to come up with ways to get people back on board, watching the Oscars, taking the awards seriously, and they're <sighs> Their main way to do this is to give Green Book a Best Picture win, so... <laughs> you know when I realized I could never take them seriously again? Yeah. It was, either, uh, it was either 2014 or 13, maybe 15, I forget. Um, but in the same year, in the same year they snubbed the Lego Movie and Interstellar. Yeah, they snubbed Lego Movie for Best Animated Feature, and they didn't even... It, did they not even nominate Interstellar? They did not even nominate. No, they didn't nominate either of them. For anything? 
I think Interstellar won like best sound design, which is also well, it certain. deserved that. It was fantastic. Which um, okay, that brings me to 2020. I have thoughts. <laughs> the 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 uh, the movie that won best sound design for these Oscars, Sound of Metal, should have won best picture. I, I watched see. a trailer for that. It's, and it's a it. great movie. It's an amazing movie with amazing performances, an amazing story. It's incredibly well made. And then I watch it. I understand if it doesn't win, but I, and like I haven't seen the other like five movies or so. Uh, I've only seen a few of the ones: um, Promising Young Woman, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and I think a couple of others are the only ones I've seen out of this batch of Best Picture nominations. I would understand some of the other movies winning, but this one won. This is the movie that won Best Picture. I haven't seen The Father. Maybe that could have won Best Picture, but this one won. Man, I've I've only seen of the Best Picture nominees. I've only seen uh, Nomadland and Promising Young Woman, which I really enjoyed. Um, it was fine. Well, that was good. Um, what was Schmidt doing there? That was weird. I don't know. That's another time. But yeah, it's uh, it's just something that I'm like, it's just indicative of of who votes on those movies in the Academy. They're mostly actors. Mm-hmm. They they tend to favor, um, <clears throat> character driven drama where one actor, um, really carries the movie on its back and does a lot of character work in the movie, which makes sense because if you were an actor that's probably what you would appreciate the most you know like that's the part of the craft that you would understand yeah but why then award this movie and not another movie i haven't seen but i've heard incredible things about judas and the black messiah i've heard that's great or mank and everyone loved gary oldman in that movie everyone loves uh, gary oldman in every movie uh the father where um we'll talk about him in a little while but anthony hopkins wins best actor for the father that's another character-driven movie. Minari, which I hear incredible things about. I haven't seen, but I, I hear is an incredibly well-acted film. And I mean, this movie wins. It's okay. I don't even... Yeah, it, and, like, the reason I haven't seen so many of these is because I just, like... I just don't really care about the Oscars that much. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's one of those things where I'm like, dude, you've got to acknowledge that if, like, you win an Academy Award, that's an honor. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. Like, that is an honor. It's a big deal. It's pretty much like, you know, if not the most, it's definitely one of the most highest honors you could possibly achieve in filmmaking. Um, But it's also just something that it's like, it's just a group of people's opinions about some stuff. You know, like, there's the other side of that. And I've just found that I just don't really care that much what they think. If, you know, like, um, if I were a filmmaker and I won an Academy Award, I would think it was the coolest thing ever. And I would, you know, have that thing on display in my house. I would be insanely proud of myself. So I'm not trying to negate it, but I'm saying as a film watcher, I just don't really care. I just don't care who wins what. It's just not, it's not important to me. It, unless it was like a movie or Interstellar, then I would have cared. But it's clear that I'm never going to move past that at this point. If I haven't got it over, gotten over it by now, I'm not going to. That's right. Um, so um yeah yeah my oscar take i don't know it's it's something i feel the same way you do do but as soon as something like parasite wins best picture and best director i'm just like holy shit that's awesome it really was the best movie it really was the best directed movie 
of that year that Parasite won uh, sure. both of those awards. It's like it. <laughs> it's yeah. Maybe this is this is absolutely more on me, but yeah, you know, it, it's it's, uh, it's on me like. It, it would validate my opinions if the movie that I wanted to win won. I would think, oh, thank goodness. The recognition that this film deserves. Because yeah, yeah. I think this movie was the best. I think Parasite is was the best movie of the year, and it was incredible. And it won the award that reflects that. And I feel like, all right, the Oscars are on track. And then... Well, they this. They, like, they, technically, right, They Parasite shouldn't have been able to be nominated for best picture because it was a foreign film um but then that that was my understanding but it was just so good that they broke the mold and they were like yeah who gives a shit a movie's yeah, a movie like, fair yeah like have you seen international movies they're a lot better than a lot of american movies they were really dope um give them give them best picture um yeah and so it's like one of those things where it's like they uh they keep their credibility just enough and when they're right it's really cool and you get to see like the best movie get recognized, you know, and that that's cool and that's fun. And you like to see people get their due for all their hard work. And when they're wrong, it's just like, ugh. yeah. And it's, it's hard to judge what's wrong too, because all of these films, all movies, like a lot of hard work and dedication and like artistry goes into these things. And it's hard for me to judge as somebody that the, the, <laughs> The highest level of filmmaking I've accomplished is editing together like video game Twitch streams into sure. <laughs> stupid YouTube videos. Like, who cares about what I've made? I've worked on a couple short films, and I know how hard it is. You know, yeah. like it, like I know how hard I worked to get like three or four minutes of movie. You know, like I know how hard it is, and so it's like, let me just presuppose everything and say like, dude, if I made Nomadland, I'd be crazy proud of myself. You know, yeah. like, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying it's, like, made by idiots who don't know what they're doing. Um, but I'm not making it. I'm watching it. Um, and there's a reason I didn't make Nomadland because I figured out it's easier to just talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. And, and listen, it's... All right, let's 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 actually get into the movie. Um, that's the end, that's the end of the Oscar rant, I guess. It's yes. it's cool when it validates our opinions, but when it's completely wrong, boy, is it wrong. Um, we could say it's kind of like Oscar from Sesame Street in the sense that it belongs in the trash can. And it makes oh, snap! I went there. It makes me a grouch. The burn sure does make me a grouch. Slam dunk, baby. Mm. Entire awards show just rendered useless by two. Us. I heard they're going to cancel it and just let us say what movies we liked for the Oscars next year. We're hosting, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to call it Lego Movie Redemption, the Oscars 2020. We're just going to give Lego Movie Best Lego Picture. Movie, all of them. <laughs> no, we're just going to give the first Lego Movie Best Picture for this upcoming year. Yeah. Hell because yeah. Because we the best. All right, Nomadland. Um... Nomadland. More like all mad land because i was mad that i watched it it wasn't a nomad movie no. it was a yes mad movie yes i'm mad i watched this land no glad land because everyone's depressing they are pretty sad people for as much as they're trying to romanticize this lifestyle uh they didn't seem very satisfied with it they they seemed they were making the best of their situation and that's like 
that's why it's hard to like really criticize it because i definitely absolutely do not want to criticize the people that are in these situations no and were left and discarded by society like they were pieces of trash like it's it's got to be like a an impossibly difficult place to be mentally and situationally to be just cast aside and find yourself in this situation because society progressed in such a way that you were just some people are just left in these places this is yeah. just this is where you wound up because not who you are not how good of a person you are but because of your circumstances and the timing of these certain uncontrollable factors here's where you are yeah but do you know what i think actually covered that better than nomadland what you're talking about right here which is very real and i'm being serious when i say this go ahead the pigeon man episode of hey arnold I haven't seen that episode, so <laughs> no. It's, it's it's honestly like it's. it's I, I probably do. There's this man who lives on the roof with pigeons, and Arnold's like trying to reintegrate him into society into society because he's lonely. Um, it doesn't work out, and then there's this like really honestly kind of beautiful quote at the end of it where Pigeon Man's like, "Some people are meant to be with people, not me. I'm meant to be with pigeons." You know, and there really yeah. is this like, "Hey, man." You know, like, hey, uh, Arnold. It, it's a book I read by uh, Don Miller back in the day um, where he, he said he was like looking at a homeless person and being like, hey, did he reject society or did society reject him? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and I think Nomadland definitely brings those people into the light. Um, I really didn't feel like they as a narrative got me invested in these individual characters. And that's why like, I've been talking about this movie with some people and they were like, I'm surprised you didn't feel invested because like, I know that you care about all this stuff. And I've been like, no, I like, I already cared about all these things. I care about like people in these situations. Um, and I, maybe that's why it didn't like really hit me hard. Cause I was already aware of stuff like this, you know, and I've already been thinking about it and caring about it. And so mm -hmm. I was like, dude, I would love to watch a documentary that covers this. You know, like, yeah. I would go crazy for it. Um, I'll bet it would be amazing. Um, as a narrative, I was like, well, you know, narrativize it. <laughs> you know, like, come on. Like, yeah. you're supposed to kind of sex it up for me a little bit. You're supposed to get me invested. Um, and given, I I'll admit, it, just I want to disclose a bias that's probably going to come up a lot. Um, I have a bias towards traditional narratives. I just do. It's just my preference. Um, you can sit on anything. I prefer chairs. Um, I like something with a little structure. <laughs> Stolen from my screenwriting professor. Um, yeah. I like something with a structure. Um, I do have, uh, I have some appreciation for some surrealist stuff and non-traditional stuff. I'm not saying it's the only way to tell a story. I'm saying if you're not going to use a traditional narrative structure, you better have a good reason to. Because that's what I've been accustomed to expect, and that's what most audience members have been accustomed to expect. I didn't think Nomadland really had a reason to to deviate in the ways that it did. I just kind of felt like we were just spinning our wheels, taking a look at a lifestyle, and eventually they, to quote Abed Nadir, uh, introduced some heavy-handed drama to create the illusion of story. And even that wasn't really the, all that compelling to me. Um, I just, I, I love Francis McDormand. Uh, I I thought it was a pretty inoffensive movie. And again, I, I, I wrote about this, like, 
if I had watched it, not with the pressure of, is this the best movie of the year, right? Mm -hmm. If I wasn't evaluating, does this deserve to be called the best movie of the year? I might've not had such a strong reaction. I don't think I would have loved it, but my, my answer to that was obviously not, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that was just like, no, I liked extraordinary and save yourselves better than that. Like those are like comedies, you know, like, Oh my God. Um, Palm Springs is better than that movie. Uh, Palm Springs is legitimately great. I haven't um, seen it yet. Oh, dude, you've got it. It's great. Um, and so I, I kind of wish I could watch Nomadland not with such a heavy uh, a heavy weight on its shoulders to carry. Um, even then, I don't think I would have loved it. I don't, like, hate it now, but I was just like, man. So this is, like, kind of – I have a thing – a carnal sin I cannot forgive in movies is boredom. Um, I think the basest, most foundational, just unimpressive thing a movie can do for you is entertain you. I think if it's a movie, if a movie is great, it can help you do a lot more things. Like it can help you make meaning. It can help you process your emotions. It can help you broaden your perspective. But the fundamental thing it should always do is entertain you. And this, like when we would pause it to go to the bathroom, I would just be like, oh my gosh. There's another hour, you know, like, and that's yeah. just that I just like, even if it's a drama, you should have me engaged. Even if it's a look at a lifestyle, you should have me engaged. Um, I've read books about this lifestyle. So maybe it was just like, I've interacted with this material before. And so it mm -hmm. didn't hit hard as a lot of people, but I was like, yeah, people shit in buckets. And today it's Francis McDormand, but while playing the flute, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like a lot of the point was also to edu educate people on this. Like you saying you've read books on this. I haven't. Um, I'm not familiar with these um, these situations and people that live this lifestyle. So this was a very educational thing for me. It felt very real. It felt like a group of very real people and a believable setting that I can absolutely empathize with. But like you were saying... <laughs> It, it it doesn't entertain and maybe I don't know I had a lot of issues with it maybe maybe it didn't um, the entertainment came with like just a lack of connection it tried to make it a little too realistic one of the main things that I talked about while we were watching it together is just the dialogue is performed in such a way that it feels awkward because it's not a traditional way of recording dialogue. Everyone, when they speak, speaks as if they have maybe read that line once before. Or maybe they only know what they're supposed to, talking, supposed to be talking about, but they're actually ad-libbing. Like, it feels a little ad-lib because it's a very natural way of speaking where you'll sort of maybe stammer your way through sentences, you'll use uh or um, and have a lot more pauses. And that's the way everybody talks in the movie. And it's it's human, it's natural, but when you're watching a movie, it feels very out of place. And I don't know, it feels like it's trying to almost be a documentary, but also have a narrative structure with actors. And it's it's very jarring when I'm watching it. 
to just have people like the way I'm talking now is the way that people talk in that movie. It's like yeah. a lot of pauses, a lot of uh, um, and having to think my way through these sentences, navigate them as I speak. And a script doesn't read like that. The way I'm used to watching movies doesn't play like that. And that's not a discredit to the movie, but I don't want to say the world's not ready for it yet, but when there's just such a loose connection between all these characters, it feels like every character that's giving us lines that are sort of half... I don't want to say half-baked, but half-baked in terms of their preparation and performance kind of and you know that's probably not the case but it just leads yeah. to me not really believing it and then we're on to the next character that also talks the same way and i'm just like i'm not following a person that talks in a natural way i'm following a bunch of different people that feel like they're getting like spot spottily interviewed for this movie not given lines for a film mm-hmm and the other thing that annoyed the hell out of me was everyone in these dialogue situations getting filmed from the exact same camera angle of like not head on but like 20 degrees to the side up at a little bit of an angle and i feel like i'm a foot and a half away like the dialogue when it's being filmed is shown at the exact same angle exact same distance and <laughs> I was going to tee you up for this if you didn't mention it. You were very bothered by the the very flat cinematography while we were watching it. The like the cinematography for everything except the dialogue was great. The movie looked great every time people weren't talking. And then people are talking and then the camera's right here. Denny and I are on a video chat right now. It's the same camera angle that I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> but this isn't a movie. This is a conversation. <laughs> it's the same angle. <laughs> now I can't stop seeing Francis McDormand in you. <laughs> or any other other hundred characters that are filmed from this same place. So we, we might get in trouble for this. Someone has recently informed me that a lot of the characters were uh, not necessarily professional actors, but were actually people living that lifestyle. I thought that uh, might be the case. Like I didn't yeah. even I didn't know that, but I figured that those not, which there's no way that all those people were actors so some of these people had to be just like approached in their current living situations and asked yeah. to talk about it in a real sense yeah and so and again uh reinforces my point make a documentary yeah great. i would love to see them in a documentary i want to hear cool. these people's real stories they're renegades they're badasses they're cool as hell and they're also in a rough spot sometimes. Like, it's it's awesome. It's, like, let me know the real thing. I don't, like, why make a narrative? Uh, that's my thing. I'm so intensely unimpressed with with realism in film. I'm yes. so deeply unimpressed. Yes. I've got realism. I've got it in abundance. Like, if you want realism, go to the park. Go to Walmart. Go to work. I come home for, for art. I come home for something a little bit uh, a little bit unrealistic because I want to escape a little bit. I want to go into a special world full of challenges, romanticized arcs. Um, you you had something. Something came up to you. I can handle a good deal of realism. I don't mind that. I don't uh, hate it. As much. I'm just not impressed by it. I'm like, cool, you made something that looks real. You know what else looks real? My ass. Oh. 
When, where did I raise my hand? What was I? What was the point that you made that I? I'm unimpressed with realism as when you first did. Ah, uh, shoot! I can't remember what I was gonna say. That's all right. Um, any other stray thoughts about No Man Land? I don't have a lot of thoughts on it, honestly. Um, the best line of the movie is because she liked rocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh I, I, rem I remember what I was going to say. Um, I, would, I appreciated the realism in it, I think, a little bit more than you did. Um, but the fact that... Frances McDormand, she gave a great performance, and she deserved yeah, the Oscar. Frances McDormand's always great. She's fantastic. She's excellent in pretty much everything. Like, everything. She's she's insanely talented. But she feels out of place in this movie. She she really because not because of her performance, but because of who she is. I've been watching her since Fargo, and I I've seen her too many times. That like this this world that the filmmaker Chloe Zhao is creating is full of real organic people. Yeah. And then there's a superstar actress who's absolutely doing a great job emulating that exact same sense of realism and emotion and situation that these people are in. Mm -hmm. But she's still her. I see her face and I know that's her. And it's, it's a little jarring. I don't know. I think that was the worst part was having like a what I would consider like a top tier actor in your film where where everyone else isn't necessarily an actor having that be your only like I would say real actor in your film kind of distracts from the realism of everybody else's lives that's portrayed in the film mm -hmm. yeah you know something that's usually um, something that's kind of a, a, a barometer for how much I immerse myself in a movie or how much an actor really became the performance is do I remember the character's name or was I just thinking the actor's name the whole time? Oh no, I don't remember her name right now. Me neither. I've just called her the whole time. I was like, Oh, now Francis McDormand is doing this thing. Exactly. It was like, uh, you know, in the last movie we were talking about, we were calling Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly. Yeah. Right. I wasn't sitting here going, Michael J. Fox is an idiot because he's not. Michael J. Fox is the man, by the way. Yeah. Marty McFly is an idiot. Like, he's a dumbass. He's a dumb guy. Um, and so that's always something that sticks with me is like, uh, like when I'm watching, uh, when I'm watching Pulp Fiction, mm -hmm. I'm not thinking that's Samuel L. Jackson. I'm I was thinking gonna that's say Jules. That. That's Jules. I was gonna right? say that exact thing. Yes. Wow. I was wow. saying like, no, that's Jules. I yeah. was gonna make. Yeah, I was gonna use that exact same example. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's that's it's a then it's probably a great example. Um, which even though he's doing Samuel L. Jackson things that whole movie. Yeah. He's doing stuff he does in like every movie, but like he becomes the character. You know, like he mm -hmm. becomes the character. The character certainly has elements of Samuel L. Jackson in him, but he's Jules, and there's yeah. just this inexplicable. Uh, inexplicable crossover you know like there's a point where you separate the character from the actor and uh nomadland got me nowhere near that point i think it's the hair for sam but yeah the jerry curl yeah 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 but yeah francis she did an incredible job it was a tremendous performance but yeah it, it didn't 
let me look up her name in that film because I cannot remember <laughs> it. Uh, Fern. It was Fern. I totally forgot it was Fern. They said it a hundred times in the movie. I totally forgot. Dude, it doesn't even resonate with me. Like, <sighs> like it could have been anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it could have been Francis, and I would have been like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I would have forgot. Um, All right. Any other thoughts before? Uh, I've, I've got something I wanted to close on for this. Yeah, go ahead. Say something nice about Nomadland. The scenery and the way it's shot. All right, I have two nice things to say, actually. The scenery okay. and the way it's shot is incredible. Uh, I was born in Arizona. I love that sort of desert landscape with cacti. With cacti and it's it's shown in such an immaculate way that I, I love that part of the filmmaking in this movie. I really felt like I was in... Like, I made the joke, like, I feel like I'm in Fargo again when yeah. she was working at the Amazon uh, distribution center. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, I feel like I'm in these places. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's incredible how well they ca capture the environment and the scenery. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is something I also said to you a few times was, like, when characters would, like, joke around with each other, I would say, like... It came up a couple times where, like, that kind of sucked, but that's exactly what these characters would think is funny. That's exactly the kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, there's, like... That kind of humor that uh, someone that age and in that walk of life would laugh at. Yeah, so... no, it was very, very well done. Because I, I, I work with a lot of people in that sort of walk of life and of that age, and that's exactly what they find funny or engaging, and it's totally fine it's it it was done really well yeah. it, it's not to make the audience laugh it's to show that these people are you know they have these sort of senses of humor and it makes them more human and it worked really well yeah and including the lady with the uh the lady that worked at amazon with like the smith's lyrics tattooed on her oh, arms yeah. like yeah. that is exactly who works in these places are people that with tattoos of lyrics from the smiths on their arms and talk about how, how deep they are how would you know that greg uh no idea greg qualify the statement i do not have any smith's lyrics tattooed on my arms no but like what do you know about working in places like that i work in a distribution center okay I, yeah I, 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 the way you were saying it it sounded like a, a those people type of thing and i was like no, oh this, okay no no no, no. You talking about yourself <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like, this, and I know from experience, this is what it's like. These are the people I currently work with, and I appreciate their humanity and their depth and like their sense of humor. And they make me laugh. They make me think. They make me, you know, understand them as people. And that's one of the things that the film did really well is um, communicate those pieces of humanity, those senses of humor, and hopefully more people understand these people the way that they were presented because i think that's yeah one of the th one of the things the movie did right i want to give it credit for that yeah my my nice thing to say is that uh i thought it had a really good rhythmic flow to it like the movie just kind of flowed really well um in a way that kind of reminded me of a movie i just i love that i adore uh lost in translation um and 
Lost in Translation to me had had enough meat on the bone, you know, like to take me through that kind of flowy thing. And um, I didn't really, well, I didn't feel like Nomadland did. Um, it was a very rhythmic movie, you know, like it was yeah. just very like uh, nothing felt disjointed. Um, it just kind of just connected, you know, like it, it just snapped together pretty well. And I just felt like it was definitely like, an organized hole that was flowing through the motion. It was designed to flow through. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. give it props for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I never felt like I was, I never felt the sense of like, Oh man, we spent way too much time in this location or with these characters. And it, it, it didn't rush anything. It didn't stay too long anywhere. It was paced very well. And I feel like you're right. That was a good point. What's your, uh, what's your critical rating for Nomadland? Critical rating for Nomadland, again, on a scale of 40, was a 15, mm. which would be just shy of a 4 out of 10. I'm very bad at math and conversions. Uh, I think I rated it a little higher than you. Uh, out of scale of 50, I gave it a 28, um, which is a 2.8 out of 5. Um, for me, 3 is a 3 is a passing grade. I would describe Nomadland as a narrow failing grade. Like, it's, like, almost there. I don't think it's like a terrible god awful movie, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't quite cut the mustard. I gave it I gave it a failing grade, but just barely. That's I think like I was, you're saying you could come in and do corrections, and maybe I'll forget about this. Yeah, I think I was a little more harsh maybe than I should have been, and maybe a little more than I sounded. But yeah, I'm comfortable giving it the same rating as Ocean's Eight. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, I gotta change. Oh, I gotta change it now, right? You just buried it. Oh, I buried No Man Land. Swish, baby. You're just um, as good as Ocean's 8. And we're back. Hey, seamless edit. All right. Um, you know, <laughs> we're getting into we're getting over an hour mark. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like Nomad Land really brought the energy level down. We need something to put the pep back in our step right now. We need to. Mm. We need to we need to we need to bring the energy level back up to finish strong. Um, what, what's going to hype us up for Silence of the Lambs? What's going to get us going again? Oh, I thought you said what's going to hype us up, but I was going to say Silence of the Lambs, and you're say, oh shit, what a great movie! That, oh wow, my no, step has been pepped. <laughs> All right, well now we're pepped, um, man. Okay, so yeah, full disclosure, um, I have only seen this movie once, and I oh. love it. I had a really busy weekend and meant to rewatch it and take notes, but it just kept not happening. Um, I watched, uh, <laughs> I watched, uh, 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 fuck. What did I watch? What's that Tarantino movie? Death Proof. I watched Death Proof and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then this morning I meant to get up early and watch it before work. And then I was like, who gets up at like 7 a.m. and watches Silence of the Lambs before a work day? <laughs> Abs <laughs> Anthony fun. Hopkins does. That's who. Well, sure. Absolute freaks. Um, let's get into it. Yeah. Talk to me. Did you rewatch it? Um, I I had only seen it once before. I was maybe 21, 22. And then I watched it this past Halloween, which would have been eight months ago. So nice. I've seen it somewhat recently. And then today I had work. So I, I did watch a few YouTube clips of a couple scenes just to try to get back into the vibe of the film but i haven't seen it since uh last halloween ish well it's uh it's funny that you would say you watched it on halloween because the way this was our wild card pick mm -hmm. um it, 
was outsourced from my wife, Vanessa, when I asked her, what movies would you watch if you wanted to start a podcast? Um, she said Silence of the Lambs because it's a different it's a different genre than Back to the Future and Nomadland. It's very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's a fantastic horror movie, but it's not necessarily a horror movie you'd associate for Halloween. You know, it's not right. something we save for like a Halloween episode or something like that. So it was a very beloved, critically acclaimed movie that is badass as hell. That's very different than our other two picks. Um, and also that we don't need to save it for a seasonal episode. Yeah. Uh, I think she's a hundred percent right. Um, and it's just interesting that you're like, yeah, I watched it last Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's absolutely right. It was, it's a perfect thriller movie, but yeah. it's, it's definitely not something you would associate with Halloween. Like you were saying, um, I don't think my girlfriend Leah had ever seen it. So I think that's why we watched it. I was like, this is, this is classic horror slash thriller this is like a must watch yeah and we watched uh, what it. Do you love about it what's up what do you love about it lots of things uh first of all for the purpose of our show denny is a huge huge horror fan boy am i and the month of october is going to be chock full of what to watch when you want to get spooked and then the week two it? what to watch when you want to get scared and then movies for when your drunk friend Kristen won't stop screaming uh, Halloween Town. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There, there will be a lot of Halloween content to come, but um, boy, will there. We will talk about Silence of the Lambs today. Uh, what do I love about it? Uh, we were just raving, raving, ranting about the Oscars. Uh, this is one of the times where they get everything absolutely right. It's one of the few films to win the uh, the big five, where it wins Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Actress. Uh, it absolutely deserves all of those awards. I don't even remember what came out in 1991 that would have competed for these things. But... It was 91? I thought it was a little later. That's crazy. Uh, I want to see. Let me double check my Absolute. facts. Yeah, it's, it's 91. It's 91. Okay. Um, incredible movie with just ah, oh, a great look, a great feel, great, great music, great sound, incredible once in a lifetime performances. It's it's good. Yeah, it's real good. Let's elaborate on it's good, please, Denny. Um. Okay. So to elaborate on it's good, I think I have uh, a few unique perspectives on this movie. Um. One is that uh, everyone hears Silence of the Lambs and thinks Anthony Hopkins because he just gave this powerhouse performance with this. You want to talk about? Uh, you want to talk about remembering the character's name and not the actor who played it? Jesus, yeah, yeah. he's Hannibal Lecter. Okay, he's Hannibal. Uh, he's not Anthony Hopkins. He's Hannibal in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear this movie and I think Jodie Foster. Um, I think that without. Jodie Foster, there is no Anthony Hopkins in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that he brought all of this sizzle and steak, but she brought a lot of steak too. She was uh, the fire, I think. Well, it, it was just his character required someone to bounce off of. And I just think that Jodie Foster was so phenomenally perfect at being that... Uh, being that uh, opposite charge, you know, um, being that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
the basicness to his acidity um, without calling her basic because she's not, you know, like, but <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it in purely chemical terms, you know, like I, I really think uh, he needed someone to post off and she gave him that. Um, I, I think her performance is really what makes this movie and it doesn't get a lot of credit for it because it's just like Hannibal Lecter's so in your face. He's so what you think about. And I'm just like, her reactions to Hannibal are what really drives them home. Mm-hmm. Like what he's doing is really driven home by Jodie Foster reacting to him. Um, and I think that's what pulls us in. Um, Cause yeah, they, they gave us a fish out of water, you know, like she's working on her first case of this caliber essentially. Um, and she's kind of learning about this world, but like, it's, uh, I don't relate you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't relate to what it's like to be a detective uh, in a little bit over your head, but determined with something to prove. I don't know what that's like. And I think emotionally, I'm able to relate because of a lot of her nonverbal acting and a lot of her reactions to things he's saying and what he's doing. Um, I think she is perfect at showing bravery because she also shows fear. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like it's a John Wayne quote who I don't love to quote, but like, it's like, what is it? I'm going to build an airport, put my name on it. Afraid. I interrupted you. Sorry, please <laughs> repeat it's it. The only time a man, I'm going to, did you say I'm going to build an airport and put my name on it? Yeah. I interrupted you. Please <laughs> repeat yourself on this, on the air. Um, <laughs> um, oh, my foot's bleeding. <laughs> I scratched a scab. Oh, God. <laughs> um that's what you get no, here the only time the only time you can be brave is when you're afraid um bravery is not the absence of fear bravery is courage in the face of fear and i think jodie foster really really showed in her performance that she was definitely shaken up you know like that like it's not that he was never getting in her head it's not that she wasn't scared it's not that she didn't feel above her pay grade or whatever but she kept going anyways and she kept trusting herself and she kept having the confidence to, um, to pursue the right course of action. And that's what really is the glue to this movie to me. And I don't think it gets talked about enough. You know, like I really think that it's like um, you think of this movie and you think of Anthony Hopkins, I think you've got to think of the duo. I think they were a perfect pairing. I think they played off each other incredibly well. Um, it's not that like no one is giving Jodie Foster credit, but I don't think they're giving her enough credit is what I'm saying. I think that like, um, I think that she brings an element to his character that pulls us into what's happening. I think that, um, you know, he is this very, very, he's very much a movie character. He's, he's Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, like it's like people like that don't really exist in reality. And I think we really needed Jodie Foster to nail it and keep us in reality as Clarice. Um, we saw reality through her eyes, through her reactions, and that's where my emotional investment in this very cerebral movie came from. I love it. You got hands in the air. Yeah, I've had hands in my air the whole time you were talking. Um, <laughs> fist pumping. I feel like you had a lot of perfect takes there for awesome. how I feel about the movie. Uh, my first point being that a lot of what we talked about with Nomadland is just the memorability. You said you'd seen this movie once and you're reciting character names and the motivations and the performances and how they connected with you emotionally and how these characters are. Like, it only takes one viewing for these... Not like 
not only the highlight moments that are a part of pop culture now, mm-hmm. but the entire character, um, the entire characterization of these people place throughout the movie is just so perfectly done that they just stick with you and they stand the test of time. They just, they live with you. They're, yeah, it's, it's an incredible performance. I think you're right to call Jodie Foster the glue that holds this movie together because I think she does a great job and it's her character is part of what makes this movie so impactful. Absolutely. No, I didn't even think about that, but it's like, I watch over 200 movies a year, you know, um, some of them blend. Some of them I like, don't even remember watching, you know, like I'll be like, what, mm-hmm. what that about? I watched this movie once, probably two years ago. Oh, wait, no, I forgot. I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. I ah, it. you made me a liar. Oh, I had something fun. No, I lied myself because I have something really funny to say about the first time I watched it back in 2010. Oh, my God. Um, but, but to finish this point and close this loop, I've seen it twice. Once, I actually forgot about the time I watched it. Um, but I have a near photographic memory of this movie. You know, like, I'm just like, man... I remember the imagery, the lines, the feelings, all of it. I remember it all so well. Yeah. Um, but I want to tell a funny story about uh, <laughs> the time I watched it in early, the early 2010s. Um, so we were watching it on my friend's uh, torrented computer. He torrented it. Very cool. Um, and so I just had no idea that we were watching the TV edit of the movie. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And so they censored Buffalo Bill's famous line to, would you have me? I'd have me. And I just went for years actually quoting it and thinking that's what the line was. Oh, no. It's like having no idea because it still worked. And then once I hey. actually saw it, I was like, wow, that's like a really stupid edit. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievably stupid edit. Hey, Jenny. What did what did Miggs say to you? What's that? What did Miggs say to you when you came down here? He said something to you. He said, I can smell your hair. <laughs> oh man. Any I've been talking for a minute. Any other thoughts on Silence of the Lambs? it's so it's so cool like exactly what you were saying with like a photographic memory of the film is just uh i had i I watched it maybe 2011 2012 and then i showed my girlfriend last year of course october 2020 and i was like all right this is the part where the cop gets like strung up this way this is the part where you know this guy says this this is the part where they find the moth in the throat and it's just like I'm remembering all these key moments that are either the the lines themselves or visually um, the strongest moments of the films. And it's like even the weaker moments, not, not to call them weak moments, but like the stuff that's not as iconic or. Well, you got to have some fall to have the rise. You know, like you yeah, can't have every moment be red letter, right? Yeah, exactly. There, there's stuff where like people are walking. And it's just like people are gonna yeah. walk in your movies, and I'm like, oh yeah, she's gonna walk to that van. And she's gonna the 
the camera angle on the van is going to be from over here and he's going to say this thing and then she's going to say what and then get knocked out and then get trapped in the van and it's just like i remembered after the one single viewing exactly how that played out mm -hmm. that that poor little dog though again <sighs> it all comes back to the dog oh einstein rest in power um yeah, we're reviewing two movies where uh, the dogs that were in the movies are definitely dead now. Einstein's killing it. Oh, you mean in real life? In real life, yeah, those dogs. Yeah. Are They're totally dead. Yeah. Wow, that made a lot of things a lot more depressing. Um, Let's but, talk about uh, the serial killers. All right. Serial killers. Let's liven the mood back up. <laughs> Wearing the skin up. suit. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Pick it up, pick it up. Collins <laughs> <laughs> Lamb. The silence of the trumpets. We will not. <laughs> the silence of the. Never mind. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, because of my own mental health journey and my career uh, as a therapist, I I see so much through the lens of mental health. Um, silence of the Lambs certainly lends itself to that. It's very on the nose, um, you know, about about mental health. Um, but specifically, um, Clarice's mental health. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that she's a character with a mental illness in this movie, because I don't think she is. But just knowing what motivates humans and what pulls us all together, um, our purpose is so often tied to our pain. Um, you know, and like Hannibal does what I do in therapy, which is uh, go to the pain, try to get to the core traumas, you know, and try to try to understand these early experiences that are unresolved that are informing someone in the present. Um, and I actually think of his line from this movie regularly when I'm doing trauma therapy, which is uh, the lamb stopped screaming yet. Right. I don't want to misquote it, but it's mm -hmm. like, it's that effect of uh, it's, it's right about there. Yeah. Yeah. Did the, did the lamb stop screaming yet? Um, which I just think is, uh, I'm getting chills even talking about that line. Um, knowing that a lot of our a lot of our purpose in life stems from some early pains, and that doesn't isn't necessarily bad, but he figured that out about her way before she did. You know, like it's mm -hmm. not always in our awareness. Um, sometimes it can drive us to do really cool things, like bust serial killers. You know, um, but he's getting to her core and finding out what makes her tick, um, and it also plays into a. Uh, Something that I love that this movie does that so few movies do is uh, use the title. Um, the movie's called The Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they find out that, like, okay, on the surface level, this movie is about her trying to catch a serial killer. Mm -hmm. um, but really what it's about is her trying to silence these screaming lambs that she's still having nightmares about. And she thinks that if she makes the world a little more just, if she can solve this problem, maybe those lambs will stop screaming. And then, you know, like the, and it's just so cool the way they set it up with the title, you know, like instead of calling it Buffalo Bill, they called it the silence of the lambs, which told you like, Hey, pay attention to this when they're talking about it. Yeah. Um, this is a big deal. And maybe that line wouldn't have been as impactful if they called it, like, uh, The Adventures of Hannibal and Clarice. You know, like, <laughs> uh, maybe you wouldn't have... Uh, Fava beans and... <laughs> your ears wouldn't have perked up yeah, um, yeah. when they started talking about lambs, and, you know? And like, they so, really do when they, yeah. when they do that, yeah. 
and it is very understated. It's something they only like reference like once or twice. It's like barely in the movie, but because of the title, you are aware that this is really important. Mm -hmm. So you really, really pay attention to those scenes. And I just think it's so well done. So few movies use the title to like inform the audience or even to manipulate the audience, you know, like it's like so much got done with that title. And it's just so good. So good. You say all that, and then I think back to, I guess, an hour ago when I was like, the best part is when the Doc, Ca Doc Brown almost points at the camera and says, we got to go back to the future. And then that's it. Wait, that's what that was referencing? <laughs> it was referencing back to the future. Oh! Oh, my God. That's like skateboard wheels ever stopped rolling. <laughs> Let uh, me know if Huey Lewis in the loo in the news ever stopped shredding. Yeah, that's that is a great point. I think they only reference the title twice the initial time that she's telling that story, and then when he asks again later if the lands ever stop screaming. So that line is so good. Better than Hello Clarice, which is not in the movie. Um Ooh, five, five, five. You know that that's a Mandela effect. It's not in the movie. I I don't think I don't think I knew that. Yeah. They put it in one of the sequels kind of as a nod, mm -hmm. but it's definitely like a play it again, Sam. <sighs> it's, he never says hello, Clarice, in this movie. That's one of my points, the one of the notes that I had. I, I wrote out a few notes for this. Um, again, I haven't seen this since Halloween. I watched a few clips to kind of like remember how the movie felt. Um, it was just like... Uh, just the character perspective and what you were saying about how Clarice is approaching these situations and the first time she meets him she's like looking at him looking at the room looking at everything and everything's filmed like almost right into their eyes they're almost they're looking like right into the lens a lot of the time and yes. Hannibal is staring straight into the camera and will occasionally look to the side when he needs information from over there, but he's always analyzing her and she's analyzing him. She's looking at the artwork that he's got hung up in the room. She's looking at the room itself, uh, his living situation. And they're both gleaning different information about each other through their own methods. And it's just incredible to watch. Like no one mentions it, of course, but he's just, staring at his subject at all times mm -hmm. and gleaning just so much information and then you know creepily smelling <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you talk about saving cats you know like it's crazy how they humanized Hannibal mm -hmm. crazy and then they really unhumanize him real quick when really? he just starts eating people <laughs> no no all it takes is a paper clip <laughs> All it, paid, all it takes is a paperclip, and he's doing all this other shit. Yeah. But they have you totally thinking, like, man, he's cool. He's so cool. He's so sharp and smart. Like, what's he even doing in here? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Well, and yeah, and then it even has, you know, some sympathy for Clarice's character, because you don't really get mad at her for letting her guard down, because mm -hmm. you let your guard down. You know, like, you can't be mad at her for something you did. Um it's it's awesome. It's just yeah. so well done. Yeah. Another, uh, another point I wanted to make about 
um, that exact same thing about like people looking into the camera is one of the one of the first scenes in the movie. Again, I only seen this twice. Still sticks out is uh, she's going on a jog through um, Langley through the FBI Academy, and she eventually like gets onto an elevator and she is she gets onto an elevator with like five or six guys and they're all like six feet tall and she's got to be like five foot nothing mm-hmm. and you just like you look at how they look at her and you look at how she knows they're looking at her but she's just staring straight forward just like i know who i am i know my strengths i know where i am mm-hmm. and then it comes up a lot in the movie too where they they find the dead body of one of the victims and i believe it's at like a funeral home or something and she's introducing herself to all the different departments like the local sheriff's department and everything and i think i saw someone describe it as like a male gaze but like a male interpretation of her like her boss is always looking at her as a an equal as a co-worker and then all the men in the movie that she interacts with are also looking at her making eye contact with her but they look at her a little bit differently and it she may not react very differently but you can tell in her performance there's an understanding of okay here's the way this person is looking at me i understand how they feel about me i understand their perspective of me they they maybe these sheriffs in this scene think that i'm just some five foot tall maybe book smart that's how i got here i'm just some cute girl but i know i'm better than that kind of thing i think she's really got that nailed down even the prisoners, you know, like they react to her through the lens of like, you are female, so we will degrade you in these very masculine ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally gets jizz flung on her, you know? Yeah. Like, um, and then I didn't even think about it till now, but that's another really humanizing thing and honestly helps us understand why, um, why she might even, you know, be disarmed by Hannibal because he is like literally the only person in the movie who's treating her with respect. Yeah, I think I think he is and I think her boss is somewhat I got to watch it again to like make sure I'm right about that. But yeah, I think he's treating her with the most respect. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, he gets appalled that the other prisoners did that to her. Um, And so he like throws her a bone, you know, like he Mm -hmm. gives her gives her like, hey, I'm going to give you some clues. Yeah, no, but it's uh it's very much like addressing the issue and showing that struggle without doing the, the, the cringe girl boss thing, you know, like, uh, yeah. it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Um, you can, any other man, you, you can do so much with female characters without making them like, I don't know. We'll save this for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Female uh, characters we'll, should just be, they should, Oh my God. We'll, we will never review I Care A Lot on this show because we were never watching that movie again. Not a chance. Not a, not a chance we're watching that movie again. Absolutely hate it. Making Blair rocks. That movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> Ros- Rosamund Pike absolutely kills it. That movie's absolutely terrible. Yep. Um, did you know there is a new TV show called Clarice on CBS? I did not, but there's a new TV show of everything, so I'm not surprised. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's only been going for a couple months now. Uh, Clarice is set after the events of the first movie because I don't think she's in the sequels. I don't know. I haven't seen any of them. I haven't seen any of them. I heard they're all kind of bad. I watched a little bit of that show Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, we watched. <laughs> I want to keep watching it. They literally made a guy named Hannibal the Cannibal, and we took it seriously. I I know. <laughs> Oh, whoa, it's so deep. No, it's it's good. It's great. It's a great it's character. So, it's a great idea. It's just crazy that they made that work. Like, <laughs> they made it work so well. But it's yeah. seriously like naming Freddy Krueger Knifey McStab and us being like, ooh! Knifey Dream Stabby. It's just like, whoa, <laughs> what's his deal? Uh, yeah, this the show Hannibal was pretty good. We we got a couple episodes in, and I think there's like a particularly like grisly and disgusting scene that we watched when we were eating dinner. We're like, let's watch something else, and then we never got back to it. And I I'm a little upset about that. It's not it's not a movie for when you're eating. Uh, yeah, it's not a show for when you're eating. It's yeah, it's a lot of dead bodies. I had a bit I wanted to do for a. Uh for a friend's uh, uh, project that we ended up not using. Mm-hmm. Where some, like comedy, like uh, slashers and pandemics. Uh, slashing through a pandemic, if you want to YouTube it, it's really fun. Mm. Uh, I had a bit I wanted to do where uh, where someone is delivering um, five, a plate of fava beans and a nice Chianté. <laughs> uh, and the person answers the door and it's Hannibal. And he's like, but they didn't include the liver. Well, one of those <laughs> <laughs> and then he eats the uber driver <laughs> i thought it would be really good um oh yeah I, I, I like this movie so much that i've got no notes like not did i only not take notes because i didn't rewatch it but no notes in the uh in the in the directorial sense i'm just like dude like it's a no notes like yeah. i don't have anything else to say about it other than I think there's some different dimensions to look at it that I thought were a little interesting to talk about, but uh, I just, I've said what there is to say. It's great. Yeah. It's great. That's all you got to say sometimes. Anything else you want to, anything else you want to tack onto it? Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Vanessa. Um, So the only other thing I had to add was that show Clarice. Mm -hmm. It's about her in the, um, in the immediate years following the events of this film mm-hmm. and they can't rent they cannot excuse me they cannot reference hannibal the character because nbc has the rights to that character so they only ever reference buffalo bill they only ever reference buffalo bill and not hannibal yeah it's the buffalo bill investigation and hannibal elector is not mentioned at all I'm going to make note of this when I don't subscribe to whatever streaming service it's on. It's on Paramount Plus. Well, I already what? wasn't going to do that. I don't know. I'm a 90s kid and they're kind of roping me in with this uh Keenan and Kel content, but uh who gives a shit? It's probably on YouTube. It's not. Oh, whatever. I bought Clarice Explains It All on DVD though, so I'm just going to stock up my physical media library cuz fuck Paramount Plus. Physical That's media. Right. Physical media rules. Yeah, not everything definitely. Not everything needs to be streamed. These kids with their newfangled iPhones. This internet, man. Apparently it's sticking around. (laughs) This internet is here to stay. What you (laughs) need to know. 
But thanks to everyone who's listening to this on cassette tape. Um, <laughs> over the internet. <laughs> thank well, you for... Please cassette. rewind and switch to side A. <laughs> for Denny's extended notes on Back to the Future. <laughs> Um, uh, what's your Critiker ranking for the ranking for the Silence of the Lambs? Uh, Critiker is a thirty-seven out of forty, which is a nine point two five. On a scale of zero to fifty, this is a fifty for me. You gave it uh, a fifty. Awesome. You gave it a fifty. Just uh, I, I do not give a lot. This is a five star for me. Um, like I said, no notes. I just I cannot think of a way that this could have been better. Um, I think it is one of the best movies ever made. I love Silence of the Lambs. Um, it's fun. It's engaging. It's accessible. It's unique. It's just fantastic. I'm crazy about it, man. I yeah. love this. Great. Great synopsis. But, yeah. Uh, Critiker, if you don't use it, it has something called a PSI, which is like a, uh, a, a basically a guess of what the website thinks you'll rate a movie based on your ratings of other movies. And mine is a perfect 40 out of 40. Basically, the right. website, based on what I like, thinks I will give this movie a perfect score. I'm a little bit shy of it. What's um, from giving it a perfect score? What's keeping me from giving it a perfect score? Great question. Why did I give it a 37? I feel like a perfect movie, for me, there's, there's no, like, checklist of things. Like, if a movie does these mm -hmm. things if it does if it checks these boxes then i will give it a uh perfect score i you just know it in your heart you know like you know when it's uh when it's the best it could be you just yeah. know no doubt i'm i'm the same i don't have a criteria there's there's gotta be there's because i think it's an incredibly made film like pretty much a perfectly made film but there has to be a very personal connection to it. I think that's a little like the emotional aspect has to be there for me. And I think it's there. I just don't think it's perfect. The only movie that I have at a 40 out of 40 is no country for old men. Oh, wow. The only one. I only have one. I have no country for old men. I have the square, which is a documentary. And I have the wire, which is a TV show, which might not deserve a 40. Now that I rewatched the fifth season. Mm hmm but <laughs> i've given more perfect scores than that yeah uh, I, I have one perfect score for an actually like an actual like narrative film and it was no country for old men wow wow and i'm fine with that like i 37 is very high i don't have a ton of time oh, yeah, that's, that's extremely high praise and more than acceptable um that's what you gave uh oceans 13 right that's what you gave oceans 13 is also a 37 no comment <laughs> Um, all right, Greg, mm -hmm. what is your opinion now that we've talked about it, now that we've discussed it, what is the best movie for when you want to start a podcast? It's Back to the Future because we have the most to say about it. We have the most takes. Um, it is the most accessible movie as far as everybody's seen it. Everybody has an opinion on it. Most of it positive. We also have the same positive feelings about it, but we also have uh, some opinions on it that... Uh, Maybe not rub people the wrong way, but definitely cause conversation, I should say. Sure. I'm going to second that. Uh, I'm going to stick with Back to the Future. I had the most fun talking about it. I had the most things to say about it. 
I'm glad we led with it so we could get those sweet listens before people tuned out when we started shitting on Nomadland. Um, and I'm going to go with Back to the Future. I think that was our best bet for what to watch and what to talk about when you want to start a podcast. We want to talk to you, our listeners. Hey. That's right, Leah and Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know what you think. Tweet it under the hashtag Infinite Biff Theory. Um, what is the best movie of the three we discussed? Back to the Future, Nomadland, Silence of the Lambs, or something out of left field that you think we're dumb for not doing? What's the best movie for when you want to start a podcast? Except this was for when we want to start a podcast, because you're going to seem pretty derivative if you, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, DVDs. I will not listen to your wife and my girlfriend's podcast should they start one. Oh, I would. No. No, not if it's this derivative. <laughs> yeah, you can uh you can find us online. Uh my criticer is T3H Johnson. Uh I have a Twitter handle at the same name. We will get a Twitter handle very soon for the uh for the show itself. Stay tuned really, for that. It's way easy. We really should have thought this through and done that. Hey, it's episode one. Who gives a shit? All right, yeah. Um What's my, your what's your letterbox? What's your Twitter? Um, Twitter is at one dark stallion O N E from my wrestling days. I never use it. I hate Twitter. Um, uh, on Facebook, you can find me as Denny Taylor because of professional boundaries. I won't add you if I don't know you. So if you're not already my friend, uh, that's probably useless. My Critiker and letterbox are the same. They are the moose man. Um, all one word, the moose man. He's part moose and part moose man, the moose man. Pretty simple. Yep. Hell yeah, that rules. All right, uh, Denny, what is our next episode? Oh, shoot. We've got um, a few options here because we talked about it the other night. Um, on the spot. We've got movies for when your partner speaks a different language than you. Movies, we're going to save this one for Halloween, so I won't even say it. Okay. And then movies for when it's Hot Boy Summer. The first day of summer is actually next week, so maybe we should do this one. Hot Boy Summer. I didn't say White Boy Summer. Let's do Hot Boy Summer. This is first assuming that this is uploaded and people are listening to it within a week of recording, which uh, TBD. Yeah. <laughs> we'll know what an RSS feed is. <laughs> we'll, get a, we'll get a hot couple of listeners and they'll be expecting the best yeah. Hot Boys Summer content. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with movies for when it's Hot Boy Summer. Movies for uh, when it's Hot Boy Summer. Yeah, and we will, uh, we will land on the films as the week goes. Denny and I will text. Um... And we're open to suggestions. If you happen to be listening to this, text me or Denny if you know us, or if I do get that Twitter account created in time. Uh, yeah. Text Greg and ask him what the Twitter account is. <laughs> text me and ask what the Twitter account is. <laughs> we gave out our Twitter handles. I will be retweeting this stuff. Don't even worry about it. You'll find us. Yeah. We'll, we'll announce the handle in the next episode. Whoa. Yeah. Teaser. Teaser. Do we have any closing catchphrases before the big handle reveal? Absolutely not. I hate hat. I hate catchphrases. Oh, I love catchphrases. Um, can I try one and you can just do a different outro if you don't like it? Good for go for it. Yeah. For Greg Johnson, I'm Denny Taylor, and this was movies for when we already told you when. I love it. <laughs>